when it comes to fame and fortune, some people can fake their way to the top. But when it comes to faith, there's no pretending. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah examines the two dramatic days of final judgment, one for the saved and one for the unsaved, including those who thought they could get away with faking their faith. Here's David to introduce today's message, The Pretenders. How foolish it is to even think that thought because you're standing before Almighty God who knows everything from the beginning to the end and who created you, who understands your mind better than you do, and you could never, ever um, deceive God. The Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. So here's here's a lesson about what will happen in the future when people come before the Lord and try to explain why they should be accepted into heaven. Don't be one of those pretenders. We will help you avoid that. If you listen to what we're talking about today, I hope you will join in in our discussion as we open our Bibles together. We're trying to make available to you during uh, the month of April a very unique little book called Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. And uh, we'll be happy to send that to you when you send a gift of any size to Turning Point during this month. It's our way of saying thank you uh, for your investment in what we are doing. It's yours for the asking when you send a gift to Turning Point today. We also are encouraging to get the study guide series for this series of radio broadcast. The three study guides for the 31 undeniable prophecies of the apocalypse cover everything in March, April, and May. Taken together, they well, they take you right through the major book that's behind this series, the Book of Signs, which is a 463-page book that covers all of this material. We can't offer that book uh, this month as we did last month, but you can still get the book from davidjeremiah.org. And it's in almost all bookstores. I was in Barnes & Noble the other day, and it was there on the shelf. You can find the book, and I hope you will, and use it as a resource both now and in the days ahead. Well, here we go with part one of The Pretenders. Cotton Fed Simmons was a famous NBA basketball coach who was brilliant at motivating his teams. On one occasion when they were playing the great Boston Celtics in a game they were not expected to win, Fitzsimmons hit on an idea that he thought would help motivate his players. So his pregame speech went something like this. Gentlemen, when you go out there tonight, instead of remembering that we're in last place, pretend that we're in first place. Instead of being in a losing streak, pretend we're in a winning streak. Instead of this being a regular game, let's pretend this is a playoff game. And with that, the team went out onto the basketball court and were annihilated by the Boston Celtics. (laughs) Coach Fitzsimmons was really upset about the loss, and on his way back to the locker room, one of his players slapped him on the back and said, Cheer up, Coach. Just pretend we won. (laughs) I don't know if you've noticed it. But there is an awful lot of pretending going on these days. Many people love to pretend they're Christians when down in their hearts they know better. They know there's never been a life-changing experience of salvation, but they pretend because it fits in with all the people around them. And Christians, we like to play that game too. We play the pretend game, pretending to really love the Lord and be in fellowship with him, even going through the motions of serving him. 
but it's not real, and we know it. What is to become of all this pretending? (laughs) The Bible says that one day all of this make-believe will be unmasked. Almost all Christians have some idea about a future judgment when everyone will stand before God. And one of the most common thoughts is that God will evaluate our lives and good works and bad will be evaluated like on a scale. And then like a high school teacher grading on the curve, God will decide who gets into heaven and who does not. But I'm here to tell you today that God's program of judgment is a whole lot more sophisticated than that. The Bible tells us that a final judgment is coming. Of that we can be sure. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. But few Christians realize that the Bible teaches there will not just be one day, but two days of judgment. First, the judgment seat of Christ, and then the great white throne judgment. And our relationship with Christ will determine what court we have to go to that day for our case to be tried. Let's start with that second judgment that has the awesome name of the great white throne judgment. There, all unbelievers and those who pretend to be Christians will stand before God. There, they will face the consequences of rejecting Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And this is the final judgment in God's justice plan for the inhabitants of planet Earth. There will be no grading on the curve, I can assure you and the accused will be judged by the black and white standard of absolute truth. The great white throne judgment will be nothing like our modern court cases. At the white throne, there will be a judge, but no jury. There will be prosecution, but no defense. There will be a sentence, but no appeal, and no one will be able to defend himself or accuse God of unrighteousness. The great white throne judgment is the final sentence of people to an eternity without God. By the grace of God, I pray that you never get there. Your goal in life should be that you never show up at the great white throne. You don't want to be there. If you're there, it's too late. There's no plan for you to have a second chance after that. The great white throne judgment. But there's a judgment before that that's just for Christians. This judgment is called the judgment seat of Christ, and very few people know about this because most people don't ever talk about it. It is somewhat challenging, at the same time very motivating. This first judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, will happen 1,000 years before the great white throne judgment, after the rapture of the church. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We, Christians, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, the purpose of this judgment is not to pronounce condemnation. No one judged at this court will be condemned. All who are at this court will already be followers of Christ who have been resurrected are in their resurrection bodies and they're standing at the judgment seat as believers before the God of heaven. The purpose of the judgment is for Christ to assess every believer's earthly works 
to determine what rewards are to be received. This is the first judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. And I want to talk to you about this for a few moments today. It is almost never taught or preached about in church these days. And it may be one of the most important and motivating doctrines of the Bible. First of all, the word judgment, seat, is the translation of one little Greek word, which is pronounced bema, B-E-M-A. Sometimes uh, theologians call this the bema seat. And the word bema is a very interesting word because it means a raised platform. You could say that I'm standing on a bema today. I'm on a platform that's raised up above the other level of the auditorium. According to one historian, in Grecian games in Athens, the old arena contained a raised platform on which the president or the umpire of the arena sat. And from here he rewarded all the contestants, and here he rewarded all the winners. This place was called the Bema Seat. So when Paul speaks of the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema Seat, he is referring to the future judgment of Christians. He's not referring to some judicial thing. The picture that he is painting is of an athletic event where the participants in the event are being rewarded and the judge who rewards them is elevated up on a high platform so he can see everything. And from this exalted platform, the judges of the Greek Olympic Games reviewed the preparation and the training of each of the contestants and rewarded the winners who had kept the rules. They would be there for over a week as the participants would come in and go through all of the very training process. And so they would be judged not just as to whether or not they won the competition, but if they had participated according to the rules that had been set down for the competition itself. So in these next few moments, I want to talk with you about what the Scripture says the judgment seat of Christ is. And we're going to examine it according to three categories. I want to talk to you, first of all, about the judge. Then I want to tell you who the judged are, and then we'll talk about the judgment. The judge. The God of the Bible is a God who makes judgments. Beginning in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were judged for their disobedience. Judgment is a thread that runs through the whole Bible from the beginning of Genesis to the very end of the book of Revelation. Hebrews 4.13 says that there is no creature hidden from God's sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. At the judgment seat on this awesome day of reckoning, only God is qualified to make the judgment. John 5 says that God has committed all judgment to Jesus Christ. He has given Jesus Christ authority to execute judgment. Acts 10.42 says that Christ was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. George Sweeting, the former president of the Moody Bible Institute, writes that God gives Jesus the right to judge all men because of who he is. Jesus is uniquely qualified to judge because he is God and he has existed from eternity. He knows everything. He can be everywhere at once and has unlimited power and authority. 
He knows everything we think and he sees everything we do. Thus he judges perfectly and with wisdom and full understanding and without any error or partiality. He is also uniquely qualified, said Sweeting, because of what he has done. He demonstrated perfect love for all men. So when God judges, his perfect righteousness is balanced with his perfect love. And you can count on it. His judgment will be absolutely flawless. How many of you are glad that when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it won't be a judgment on the basis of a group of your peers? Your wife or your husband won't be there to bring judgment against you, nor your children or your grandchildren. That judgment will be pronounced, presided over, and made by the judge of all the earth, the Lord God of heaven. A group of children was lined up in the cafeteria of a Catholic elementary school for lunch. At the end of the table was a large pile of apples, and a nun had put a note on the apple tray. Take only one. Remember, God is watching. (laughs) Moving further along the lunch line at the other end of the table was a large pile of chocolate cookies. And a child wrote a note and put it on the cookies. Take all you want. God is watching the apples. (laughs) But unfortunately for those kids and for us, God's watching the apples and the cookies, right? (laughs) He sees it all. There's nothing that escapes his omniscient wisdom, the judge. Who are the judged that come before this judgment seat of Christ? The judgment seat of Christ is for believers only. No unbelievers will show up at the judgment seat of Christ. At this tribunal, everyone who has accepted Christ as their personal Savior from the time of Pentecost to the rapture will give a personal account of themselves before the Lord. No unsaved person will appear there This is the judgment seat of Christ for believers only. Now, there are three sections of Scripture in the New Testament that give us everything that we know about the judgment seat. I want to read them to you. Why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So then, each of us will give account of himself to God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work. Of what sort it is, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And we'll go back to those verses in a moment. But I want you to notice this event is not a community affair. This is not a church gathering. This, my friends, is a one-on-one interview with the Son of the living God. And each of us will have our appointment. The judge and the judged, and now the judgment. 
Let me begin the judgment by talking with you for a few moments about some of the confusion that surrounds this biblical truth. The confusion about the judgment. Now, there are many false ideas that have sort of come out of history about the meaning of the judgment seat of Christ. I don't have time to go through all of them, but I want to give you the two most common that I have seen and heard. The first one goes like this. It's the idea that it is a judgment that takes place in heaven at the time of death to determine whether a person is permitted to enter heaven or not. In other words, some people believe that when you get to heaven's gate, and we've got all kinds of jokes about this which perpetuate this idea, that we stand before God and he takes all of our good works and he puts them over here on one side of the scale and all of our bad works and puts them over here on the other side of the scale and he weighs them and based upon which one prevails, we get to go to heaven or we're kept out. Now, all of us, if we're deeply honest with ourselves, would not like it to be that way. So I'm going to give you some good news. It's not that way. That is not what happens. There is no such event in the future. The only judgment which a believer in Jesus Christ will ever have been subjected to is the judgment of the cross. We were judged when Jesus died on the cross. We were in Christ on the cross when the Father poured out his wrath upon him for sin. Whose sin was it? Certainly not his. He was sinless. The sin was ours. And Almighty God poured out all of his wrath on Jesus Christ, the incredible Son of God, the living Son of God. And he took all of our punishment for us, all of the wrath we deserve for our rebellion against God was poured upon Jesus. And when Jesus was judged for our sin, our sin was forever and finally judged. I am here to tell you that if you have accepted Jesus Christ, you will never ever again face the judgment for your sin from God. That judgment is past, it's history. You don't see it through the front window, you see it through the rear view mirror. It has happened. The second idea that is sometimes put forth as to the purpose of the judgment seat of Christ is that it is a judgment of all sins that a believer commits after he becomes a believer. The idea is that the cross takes care of all your sins till you accept Jesus. After that, you're on your own. <laughs> but listen to Romans 8.1, men and women. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It is ridiculous to think that somehow the salvation of a Christian is made up of everything Jesus did for you before you believed in him, and then after you believed in him, everything you have to do for yourself. Now listen to me. When Jesus died on the cross, hear me, how many of your sins were still in the future? We don't have the right to divide our sins up and the ones we did in the past, ones we're doing now, and the ones we're going to do in the future. They're all future at the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, what happened there was sufficient for all of our sins that we would ever commit from that moment on forever. Your sins have been forgiven. God has paid for those sins through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Back in the days of the pioneers, when men saw that a prairie fire was coming, 
They would take a match and burn the grass in a designated area around them. And then they would take their stand in the burned area and they'd be safe from the threatening fire. So the oceans of fire surged around them. They didn't fear because fire had already passed over the place where they stood. Nearly 2,000 years ago, the wrath of God was poured out on Calvary. And the Son of God took the wrath that should have fallen on us. Now if we take our stand by the cross, we are safe for time and eternity. The judgment has fallen. It can never get to us again. The cross of Jesus Christ has scorched the earth for all future judgment. We will never face our sin in terms of judgment again. So the judgment seat of Christ is not to determine whether you get to heaven or not. You can't even go to the judgment seat of Christ unless you've already got a ticket that's been punched for heaven. And it's not for your sins you've committed after you became a Christian. In the eyes of God, there's no difference between those. When does this take place? The chronology of this judgment. The judgment seat of Christ is an event that's going to take place as soon as you get to heaven. As soon as you go through the pearly gates, the first agenda item is go get your appointment with the judge. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. The Bible pictures Jesus coming back to get us, and he's bringing the rewards with him so that as soon as we get back to heaven, he can give us our rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. There's a wonderful little story about this particular verse that I've always loved. There was this young preacher who was taught in seminary that he should always preach without notes, but was given some instruction to what to do if he should forget his sermon. And the instruction was he should say the phrase that he had just said. He should back up from the pulpit, and he should say the phrase that he had just said and see if he can get back on track. So... This young man was preaching his first sermon on this particular verse. And he got to the place where the verse said, Behold, I come quickly. And he couldn't remember what was next. So he backed up and he thought. And he stepped forward again and he said, Behold, I come quickly. And he still didn't know what was going on. He did it a second time. And the third time, gathered himself up and he said, Behold, I come quickly. And he was so forceful, he went over the pulpit and landed in the front row in a woman's lap. <laughs> and he said, oh my, oh, my dear woman, I am so sorry. I am so embarrassed. She said, honey, don't be embarrassed. You told me three times you were coming. I should have been ready. <laughs> and you know what? That's a funny little story, but we have to be ready when the Lord says, Behold, I come quickly. Amen. Sometimes I get carried away, don't I? But I love these little stories. And you know what? I'll be honest with you. I love to hear you guys laugh. And I can hear you laughing even as you heard that story today. We're going to take the weekend off and come back with part two of The Pretenders on Monday. In between that time, uh, we're going to church. That's right. I'm a pastor, and I will preach three times this weekend, the Lord willing. And... um, You will go to your church. I hope you do that and be a support to your pastor. I hope you're serving in some way to help with the gospel uh, being extended to the whole world. And, uh, you know, that's where you'll find joy in your life as you serve the Lord. 
Uh, If you have time and find us, you can watch us on television over the weekend, and you'll find us uh, wherever you live. Uh, We we look at the map and realize we've covered almost every part of the United States with television, and we're also in several other countries, and we're so grateful for the opportunity to teach and preach the Word of God on television. I always will say this, so you might as well listen to it again. Um, Don't use television as an excuse to not go to church. If we're on during your church service, record us, go to church, and watch us later. I mean, that's a simple thing to do, and I want you to do that. Churches are so important during these days. We have to stay together in these unscripted days of the future, so do that. And we'll see you Monday. We'll be here for you. When you wake up on Monday and go find us, we'll be there. I promise we'll be there. We'll see you. Have a great weekend, friends. God bless you. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. David's new resource that relates the numbers in Scripture to God's prophetic plan. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, Signs, right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Do you wish you had a better grasp of Bible prophecy? Then you'll love Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. Grow in your understanding of end times events and discover what the numbers and prophecy mean. This fascinating book is yours with a gift of any amount this month and give $70 or more to receive this book plus two other answer books that will help address your most pressing questions about end times and Bible prophecy. Find out more at davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. The Irish playwright George Bernard Shaw wrote more than 60 plays in his lifetime, so he knew the human condition. Something he wrote about is consistent with an important principle of Scripture. Shaw wrote, Everything happens to everybody sooner or later if there is time enough. 
I don't know if Shaw was thinking of King Solomon when he wrote those words, but he could have been. Solomon said it much more simply. He said, there's nothing new under the sun. Our challenge is to learn from those who have already experienced what we are going through so we can profit from their mistakes and their wisdom. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover how God uses our experiences on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.